Hey, good morning. If you're new, I'd also like to introduce myself. I'm Charlie, uh, lead pastor here, and um, we are in a series where we're looking at these interactions that Jesus is having with different people. We're kind of learning about the way that Jesus talks to us. We're learning a little bit, hopefully, about maybe the ways that God is calling us to kind of love and talk to other people who are in desperate situations around us or just need a little bit of help, a little bit of hope. And I've also just been looking a lot at just kind of ultimately Jesus' mission. We saw this last week. We we're talking about Zacchaeus where um, basically, you know, he said when, when Zacchaeus kind of repented of, of his sin and Jesus said, this is what I'm about, to seek and save lost people. And, um, you know, we, we put all of these pictures together and we just get a greater picture of who it is really that God has called us to be in this world. And so here in, in, in today's story, I think one of the questions that we're going to be asking is, is kind of this, was like, where do you go when you're the one that's supposed to have all the answers? Right? And so this happens to pastors, right? This happens to pastors a lot. And it's, I'll start turn something that's completely unrelatable into something relatable. Just give me a second, right? How's the pastors like, so, like, 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 I'm supposed to have all the answers. At least that's, that's certainly the way that the, the stereotypical pastor is. The, the pastor is the guy who has it all together, who is, is, he's got the perfect marriage with the perfect kids and knows all the things about God. And so no matter what your question is, uh, you come to me and, and, I, and, I, and I give, and I'm just dispensing nothing but, nothing but wisdom. You know, I mean, there's this pressure you feel, right? It's not like you come to me with some, like, some great heartfelt question about life or the Bible. You'd be like, I, I don't know. What, what do you think? I'm not real sure. It's like, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to have all the answers. And so then there's this, there's this pressure that you feel when you're supposed to have all the answers. It's like, where do you, where am I, where am I supposed to go? And again, it's not just pastors. We all feel this way. You know, when you, when you, when you get into a new role at, at, at a job, like you get this job, it's like, I'm supposed to have everything together. I don't want to act like I don't know what I'm doing. I just got this job or, or now I'm the boss. And now that I'm the boss, I need to make sure everybody knows that I've got all this together. I'm a, I'm a dad now. I'm a mom now. I'm an adult now. I've been, I've been fussing at my parents for years about how I'm an adult, and I'm an adult now. And you don't call mommy with a question about how to turn on an oven when you, you got it all. You've been telling them all together. It's like, yeah, there's this pressure that you feel. I have to have it all together. I have to know everything. I have to be doing it right. And, and if I don't, there's something wrong. And so we have this overwhelming fear um, about really seeking help because we have this pride that says, I'm supposed to have all of this already figured out. And so I'm, I battle that. I've been battling it my whole life. You know, I have other pastors now that, I, that, that, that I'll go to and just kind of shoot some things to. And there's a counselor that I meet with every now and then that just kind of is helping me just kind of process some things. And it, it's just really good, especially if you're the one that's supposed to have the answers, to be able to be seeking help and advice from other people as well. And so I bring all that up because we're going to meet this guy named Nicodemus today. And Nicodemus, we're going to learn a few things about him, is that he, one is that he's a Pharisee. And a Pharisee, this is a group, and you make sure you understand this, this is a group that has been very um, upset with Jesus. They, 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 they're fighting him the whole time. Because of whatever it is that Jesus is saying, it feels in direct opposition to everything that they're saying. So they're kind of the... <coughs> Villain is too strong of a word. 
and antagonist is too fancy of a word, but basically they'd be going at it, all right? And in the Bible, Jesus and the Pharisees, they were religious leaders. He was a, they were great teachers. Essentially, they were, they were rabbis. They were, they were the equivalent of pastors, but they were this elite group. Now, this elite group that he would have been a part of, they would have all, um, and this is pretty impressive to me, they would have all had what we would call, what, what they called the Torah, which for us is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those first five books, that's pretty thick. They would have had it all memorized. They, they had all of the, the Old Testament law, had it completely memorized. It says here also that he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So he was kind of one of these elite people. And so it is highly likely that this guy had everything that we would call the Old Testament memorized, and, which, is, which is insane. And so this guy had it all. I mean, he, 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 was, he was part of the ruling class. Um, among, in, in the Jewish religious circles. He was this teacher of teachers, leader of leaders. And this is the guy that is coming to Jesus today, right? And so we're in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, we're going to look at the way that Jesus kind of interacts with this guy. Verse 1, chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Let's make sure we we get what's going on here. Again, so we got this guy. he's He's a Jewish rabbi, teacher of teacher, leader of leaders, part of this group that was essentially in opposition to Jesus. And he comes to Jesus. When does he come to him? He comes to him at night. There's a lot of things that we could assume about that. One, I think it'd be pretty straightforward. He's probably scared to do it during the day. He doesn't want to be found out. He doesn't want anybody to see this. Like, like me and my bros, we, we don't, we're not supposed to like you. We're not certainly supposed to be coming to you for advice, asking you questions. And, and my guess is, like, if we just do this at night, then it'll just be, it'll be easier for me. No one will see. So there, there's some fear there. But my guess is there's also not simply fear. It's like he, he really wanted to have a good conversation with Jesus. Didn't want to be, there'd be a whole lot of distractions. Certainly didn't want it to be a fight. And so during the day with other Pharisees around and all the hype and all the crowds, it had been really difficult for a Pharisee to have a, a, a good discussion with Jesus. And so I think in part for fear, in part for some just good strategic reasons, he comes to Jesus at night to kind of have this private conversation. And my guess is it took a lot of courage for him to even get this far, to be able to come to see him at night again, because everybody that he kind of worked with had a pretty strong hatred for Jesus. So my guess is that he had kind of been planning this for a few days and kind of working this up in his mind and probably had a very specific question that he was wanting to ask Jesus. But the first thing he's got to do is like... Butter him up maybe a little bit. It's like, i got to make sure Jesus knows I'm not trying to fight him. I mean, Jesus knows this because he's got his Jesus powers. He knows Nicodemus more, knows him better than Nicodemus does. But he feels it's like, I need to make sure Jesus, I'm not trying to fight. Listen, here's the the thing we know. We we obviously know (coughs) that you're a teacher and you've come from God because there's no way you could do the things that you're doing if God weren't with you. So he's setting Jesus up, and again, not in a bad way, just kind of like, I'm going to make sure you know we're on a good page. And you, and you imagine that Nicodemus has some question that he's wanting to ask. And we've seen this before 
or before really whoever it is, whatever his agenda was, whatever it is he wanted to talk to Jesus about, kind of gets, he kind of gets, he kind of get, you know, Jesus kind of just cuts straight through it. Let's just get right to the point. Verse three. Hey, you're, 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 you're from God. You can perform all these signs, Jesus says. Verse three. Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So whatever Nicodemus's question was, that's probably not the answer to it because that doesn't even make any sense. Hey, listen, no one can come to the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And Nicodemus has a very reasonable reaction to that. That's gross. Verse 4. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus said, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. I will not explain that. We just, just go with the simple explanation. Gross. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. This probably is often the case, like with that rich young ruler that we looked at a few weeks ago. He comes to Jesus, and he kind of has this idea of probably what's going to happen. And he has this whole display. He comes up to him. This is in front of everybody. Gets down on his knees. Oh, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's doing it to put on this great show. Nicodemus is obviously not trying to put on a show. He came to him at night trying to have a private conversation. But again, he, he had some idea about the conversation he was going to have with Jesus. Like, you know something. You're, you're clearly from God, and you've got some power that is really haven't seen before. And, 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 and I'm sure Nicodemus, he's got something in him that seems off, or so he knows that something's missing. And he's like, he's wanting some insight, some help from Jesus. And so it, privately at night comes to him. And before he can get his question out, what Jesus says to him, listen, no one can go to heaven, no one can be in the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Which again, Nicodemus is like, that does not make any sense to me. I don't, I don't even know. It's, it's, it's gross and it's weird. I don't understand. But here's the thing that I think at a minimum he understood that Jesus was saying. It's like the only way you can go to the kingdom of heaven is to be born again which is, you, you can't do that. So I think at a minimum, Nicodemus understood this, is that there is nothing that you can do to get into God's kingdom. There's nothing you can do. The only way you can get into God's kingdom can be born again. There's nothing you can do about that. Whatever it means, you can't do that. There's nothing that you can do. Now, being a Pharisee, these people were, were considered great teachers of the Old Testament law, and the Old Testament law in their mind was designed to show you the way that you had to live in order to have a relationship with God and ultimately go to heaven. 
And so not only did they have this great understanding of the hundreds and hundreds of laws of the Old Testament, which if you had put them together, be like maybe a little book about this thick, they had written their own book called the Talmud, which is essentially a, an interpretation of that, which is supposed to say it was this thick. And so it wasn't just simply, you know, the, the, the law says uh, you, have to, you can't work on the Sabbath. Well, they would say, well, let's explain to you what that means. You know, if you have to go on a trip... You can, but you can only walk for like a mile at a time. And if your trip is for more than a mile, then you have to carry a small chair with you. And for a mile, after a mile, you have to sit on that chair, and you have to sit on that chair for at least 15 minutes. And then after that, you can get up and do. I mean, very specific. It's not just you can't. It's not just simply don't work. I, I got to understand very specifically. And so this guy was an expert, not only in exactly what the law said, but specifically their understanding of how you did it. And so this guy's life was dedicated to doing everything according to the rules. I'm sure that he knew that every now and then he followed the rules, but then there were, there was, there was things that you did about that. It's like, well, if you break this rule this way, then this is what you have to do. You have to bring this sacrifice, and you go to the priest, and this happens, and you do this. And everything that his life was dedicated to doing everything right and to teaching people. It's like, hey, it's, 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 a, it, it, it's not simple, but it can be done. You just follow all of these rules, and you and God will be right. So he had dedicated his life to this. He had dedicated his life to teaching people this. And the very first thing that Jesus says to him is that's not possible. It does not matter what you do. The only way you can enter the kingdom of heaven is to be born again. He's like, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what that means. That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense to me. And he says, um, you know, and, and, and Jesus goes on to explain it a little bit, and it, it, is, it doesn't seem to help. And so then Nicodemus says this. He's like, how can, how can this be? And then what Jesus says next to Nicodemus, he's already kind of cut Nicodemus once. By basically saying, you've dedicated your life to thinking you can work your way there and do everything right. That's not possible. He says this to him. He says, listen, how, how, you're Israel's teacher, and you don't understand this? This guy had dedicated his life to doing everything right and to being the teacher, the one who knows everything. And Jesus essentially said to him, you, you, know, you think you know the Scriptures. You got the, you got the whole thing memorized, for goodness sake. And yet, you don't get this? I mean, here's a guy who had completely prided, on, prided himself on doing everything right and knowing everything. And what Jesus says is like, there really isn't anything that you can do. And um, you may know a lot, but you've somehow missed the, the, the key to everything. And so I would imagine at this point that he is com completely broken. He has rocked his world and his worldview completely. But by, by, like you just, it's not what you do. And the things that you know, you actually don't know anything. And honestly, this, this is kind of what I wish he'd said to the rich young ruler when he comes there. Hey, what good thing must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? I wish Jesus had said, well, there isn't anything you could do. That would be ridiculous. 
But in, instead, he's like, well, if you want to be perfect, you've got to do all this thing. And that dude realizing, oh, I can't be perfect, he walks away. And he explains it a little more clearly, not a whole lot more clearly, but a little more clearly than Nicodemus. There isn't anything that you can do. And in fact, all of the knowledge that you've gained, you've learned all of this, but you've missed the point. Then as he's explaining this what it means, it's kind of the, the, the first level that I think that Nicodemus understands, you know, there's nothing you can do to get into God's kingdom. Well, then what is it? Well, and what he tells him is that you must be spiritually reborn. Which 2,000 years later, we say, you know, Jesus says you have to be born again. 2,000 years later of kind of Christian reflection on this, most of us have some idea about what that metaphor means to say that you're supposed to be born again. But imagine being there the first time anyone ever said that. Imagine that you're there the first time anyone's really said that, and you're a hyper-literal person who, who, who prides himself on knowing things. Hey, let me tell you, you want to have the kingdom of God? You've got to be born again. Gross, right? I mean, that's just what you say. And then for some of us, this, this expression is so old, and a lot of us even have memories of it, where it's the kind of thing where we associate it sometimes with the kinds of pastors or preachers or evangelists or crusade-type people who are out there and say things that, that in churches and places that we intentionally don't want to go anymore, right? And since you come in here today, it's like, brothers and sisters, let me tell you, you must be born again. And so somebody, we were talking about this at staff meetings. Like it's a little, it's a little triggering. And we, we, we've, we've established it as kind of this weird, weird Christian speak thing. When actually, it is an incredible metaphor. And, um, and he, he doesn't get it. And again, we were talking about this at staff meeting leading up to the Sunday. And it was like, don't you think at, a, at least he would have gotten the idea that it means you should, it means you got to start over, you got to be completely new? It's like, it seems like he didn't. That it was just such a foreign, strange idea that, again, after thousands of years of reflection and really kind of understanding what Jesus is talking about, it's like it makes sense now. And so he's like, what, what, what do you mean? Verse 5. Well, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Now, just as a pause, kind of church you came from, some people will try to tell you that it says you got to be born of water and the Spirit, that that's talking about water baptism, which it isn't. It's just talking about your normal birth. It's like you got to be born two times, a flesh birth and a spirit birth, or a water birth and a spirit birth, which if, um, you know, if you've, I don't, I don't want to get, I don't want to get lost here, but, you know, if you've ever been at a birth, there's just a lot of water involved, right? I mean, there's just there's a lot of water involved. And so you got to be born this way, but then you've also got to be born in a spiritual way. You shouldn't be surprised at me saying you must be born again. And then he explains it perfectly in verse 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. See, it's very clear. You don't, need me to, you don't need me to explain that to you, do you? I mean, you know, exactly, clearly we all know what that means. Yeah, it's just like, it's just, it's just like that. Great, which, which again, I'm so proud of Nicodemus that he would look at that and be like, what are you even trying to say? 
I, I don't understand because essentially he says, like, you know, it's kind of like the wind. Like, no, I don't know. You know, like the wind, you don't know where it comes from. You, know, you, kinda, you, don't, you just kind of, you see, but you don't really know. It's kind of like that. What? Because ultimately what Jesus is trying to say to him is that it's mystery. It's mysterious. It's not completely and totally knowable. It's not completely understandable by you. Well, he didn't have a category for that. I do everything right and I know everything. Maybe I don't know everything. You can tell me, though, the thing that I don't know. Well, it's really not like that. It's really more... What? And honestly, I feel for Nicodemus too because I don't like it either. I don't like it. I don't like anything where at the end the answer is, well, it's kind of a mystery. No, it's not a mystery. No, it's not. Just, just say it. Just tell me what it is. Anytime I go to the Bible for an answer to a question, what I want is I want a three-step process, a good chart, an understanding, and a concise theological argument that makes total sense. But every now and then, you're trying to understand something. You're like, I don't know what this is saying. And I feel like the answer I get from God is, well, it's kind of like, that's that not, not helpful. I want to know. And again, having this responsibility to feel like I have to have all the answers, you come to me and it's like, well, what, 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 what's really going on with this? And I, I don't know. Maybe it's a little, that's all. That, like, people, I can't tell you how many times over the last 25 years I have a conversation with somebody about, predestination and free will and what the Bible says about that. And for about 15 minutes, I can talk with somebody about it. And we're going to be like, okay, okay, I think that makes sense. And then I keep going for like another 30 minutes. And then, and then their eyes start to, 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 to just kind, of, kind of get foggy. And, and, and then it kind of ultimately always ends with, but you know, honestly, I don't, I, I don't really know. And this has happened to me several times. Or I'm asking God a question and trying to understand something either that the Bible says or something that's happening in my life. And I want to know, I want you to say, why would this happen? Why, why would you do this? Why, why would this be the case? And every time the answer comes back mystery, I feel dissatisfied. But the thing that he keeps saying to me is, I'm God and I've got this. Is that enough for you? So I understand. I understand what Nicodemus is going through. What he's feeling. Why, why, why he's struggling with this. Because his whole life, his whole life is built on the idea that if you know all of the things and you do everything right, you and God are good. And ultimately, Jesus is completely and totally breaking that down. There isn't anything that you can do. You can't earn your way. You can't follow the law your way into the kingdom of God. You can't. And in fact, for all your learning, for all your understanding, for all your memorizing, you miss the biggest idea, the big picture of really what it means to be in a relationship with God. He's like, what is it? Well... A little bit you're going to have to understand it's a mystery. 
It's not a formula. It's not a series of things that you have to believe and do and, and, and create. It's, it's more mysterious than that. And he's like, I don't understand. And again, one of the things I really appreciate about Jesus here is that he doesn't leave Nicodemus in that spot. He's, complete, he's completely broken. God has completely unmade him by attacking the things that were his greatest idols. In the same way he saw, we saw him attack people who had the idol of money. His idol was his own knowledge and his ability to do the right things. And he's attacked him and he's crushed it. But rather than leaving him there in this confused state, kind of discouraged and overwhelmed, Jesus comes on. Like, you need, hey, you need to understand. I know that's hard for you. You guys don't want to believe the things that I'm saying. But let me tell you this, verse 13, no one's ever gone to heaven. None of you here have ever been to heaven. I've been to heaven. I've, I, came, I came from there. So you need to trust what I'm telling you. I am the one that has been there. No one else that you see, no one around here has been there. I've been there. I came from there. So you should trust me on this. <coughs> and then he says this, And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And so essentially what he's saying is like, listen, there's nothing you can do, nothing that you can do to get into God's kingdom. Instead, you have to be spiritually reborn. And at the point in which Nicodemus is completely lost and confused about what any of this means, Jesus trying to bring it together in a way that honestly I believe that really maybe only Nicodemus could have understood. He says you must be spiritually reborn, and we do that by looking to Jesus and his death. And so what he says is, he's like, listen, I've been there. I know, I, I know what I'm talking about. You have to trust me. I know it totally makes sense to you that it's about what you do. I know that you have been uh, uh, devoted to learning and understanding and you think you've got it all figured out and, and you don't. But trust me on this. I've been there. You can trust me. And now listen to this. It's just like when Moses made the serpent in the wilderness. Just like that. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so I'm going to be lifted up. And everyone who looks at me and believes in me can have eternal life. Now to 98% of the people that Jesus would have interacted with in his, in his entire lifetime would have looked at that and been like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like that. Would have no idea. I, like, I don't know that story. Just like right now, 98% of the people in the room are like, you know, guys, it's just like when Moses with the serpent in the wilderness. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, mm, you know, mm, mm. No. If you were here Christmas 2018, you might remember it because we did a sermon actually on this passage in Numbers, 20, in Numbers chapter 21. Because you read John 3. You read John 3 because John 3 has 16 in it, which I stopped at 15 just to kind of upset you. Um, <laughs> You read John 3, and you just skip right past that because you're trying to get to 16 about God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But he says right before it, he explains what that means. It's just like the story of Moses and the serpent in the wilderness. And, and again, no one else would have known that story. But obviously Nicodemus did. And it's an, it's an amazing, powerful story. 
they were in the wilderness going, heading from Egypt to the promised land, and it was, they kind of had this cycle where they would rebel against God, God would bring judgment, and they would repent. And they're just kind of lost in this cycle. And one of the times is they're rebelling against them, and the judgment that God brings is he puts, he, bring, he puts snakes in their camp, poisonous snakes, and the snakes bite the people, and the people start to die. And, and after a little bit of this, they, they, they become grieved and they're sad and they realize that this is a punishment of their rebellion against God and they say, God, will you please, will you please forgive us? Will you please, please bring healing? And so he's like, sure, I, 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 I'll take care of it. And, and what he does is he tells Moses, I want you to construct a snake just like, just like that. I want you to make a bronze snake. I want you to put it on a pole and stick it up at a high spot at the camp. And this way, when anybody gets, gets bitten by one of those snakes, if they'll just look it up at, the, at, the, at, that, at this bronze serpent, then I'll heal them from the poison and they'll live. And so Jesus says, just like that snake that J- Moses made got put up so people could be saved, they looked at it, just like that. I'm, I'm going to be lifted up. And if people will look and believe in me, then they can have life. There's a lot of weird things about that story in Numbers. The weirdest one is, if God was going to heal them, kind of take this punishment away from them, I mean, there was an infinitely simpler way to do it. Get rid of the snakes. They They were still getting bit by the snakes. They were still getting poisoned. But they had to demonstrate a personal act of faith to say, I know this is because of my judgment and I trust in only the one who can save me, who is God, and then I can be healed. And this is what he's telling Nicodemus. You know something's not right. You're doing everything right and you know everything and yet you're still here. You know something is broken. You've been trusting in yourself. You you know what sin is. And you know sin is still here. No matter how much you know, no matter how much you do, the snake is still there and the snake is still biting you. Stop Stop trying to do it yourself. And look to me and I will heal you and give you life. With a lot of these stories, it's kind of, that's it. That's the end. We don't hear from them again. We don't hear any more about Zacchaeus. We don't hear any more about that rich young ruler. We just, we just don't. But we, get to, we get to meet Nicodemus a couple more times. And we see this progression from him coming to him at night to publicly kind of speak it out for him a little bit in one of their meetings where it's like, man, maybe we shouldn't be too harsh on him. Maybe we need to kind of, kind of, kind of give, him, give, give him an opportunity to kind of, kind of, kind of check that maybe it's not so bad. And then ultimately, right after his death, he and a guy named Joseph of Arimathea are the people who obviously in a very public, public way take his body and, 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 and bury him. And so Nicodemus was there when Jesus was lifted up and he saw him. And it is very obvious in his progression of his life that he, gave, he, he, he put his faith and trust in Jesus. And here we are, we're all here. 
And we have this opportunity. We have the same opportunity. Where we've been trusting in a lot of things. Like if I just do it just right, if I just come to church, if I do the right things, if I say the right prayers, if I come to the right church, if I do this, I do that, try to be a good husband, try to be a good mom, try to be a good student, and then I'll be good. Been trusting in a lot of things, and Jesus is saying, it's none of that. Look, look to me, and I will bring you healing. And for some of you, that's for the first time. You've been trusting in a lot of different things, ranging from church attendance to being a good person. You come here and you're trying to, if I go to church, maybe it can undo some of the bad things I did this week and I can get back even with God. And he says, it's not that. Look, look and trust in me and I will give you life. So if you need to do that for the first time, our greatest prayer is that this will happen for you today. But for the rest of us too, we need to do it again. Because it's so easy to fall into that mindset of like, I trust in me. I trust in what I know. I trust in what I can do. And it just keeps disappointing. And I keep getting back into this cycle. But I need to look and trust in the only one who can give me life. So whether it's for the first time or the next time, let's just pray. Let's just pray that this God would just renew our hearts and give us life in him. And that we would look only to him and not in our ability to know and not our ability to do. And as always, we have lots of different ways to respond. Our prayer team would love to pray with you. There's prayer candles, communion, the cross. We've got an opportunity to give. Lots of different ways. But let's just pray that we would put our hope, our trust only in Jesus who was raised up for us. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for Nicodemus. And God, just... God, I just feel him. I get him. And God, I just, I just have convinced myself so many times that my life is good because I can do everything right and I know all the right things. And God, I just I get so convinced that that's it. Until, God, you just find yourself in a situation where you, just, where, where, you're, where you can't. And I just get unmade and undone all over again. And, God, I pray for those of us who are coming to that for the first time and really need to put our faith and trust in you, give our lives fully to you. God, give us the courage, like Nicodemus, to move beyond just kind of sneaking and learning to fully trusting in you. And God, I pray that for all of us, God, that we would just continue to look at you. Look to your son. Look to his death for the only source of hope in life. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.